Good evening, another... Good evening and welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. I am your other host, Becky Grimlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because... Wednesdays are for podcasts. And tonight, we are going to be talking about another cold case true crime series episode. I'm so sorry, my brain is on... 45 right now um, an episode in our true crime series yes yay english um <laughs> um the black dahlia which is something that we both have actually been wanting to talk about for a while um super super tragic but very interesting story uh but of course you know before we get into that we have to talk to our sponsor calm your buddy down <laughs> Nice. That was so off key. There we go. I was, I literally There's went. Dang. The, there was some guys. The 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 phlegm is a coming, especially with springtime. No, because when you cleared your throat, because I was clearing my throat so much earlier, that's why I made tea. Because these fucking allergies are about to just hit with the rain coming the next few weeks, and it's just yeah, it's gonna. Ugh. Anyway, it's a sorry. rain and flammer. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, back to back bombs. So uh, right now, guys, we've got the Mother's Day bundle pack specials going with the body cream and the bath bombs available. Um, also coming in mid-May, there will be a new scent. It is going to be a summer scent exclusively blueberry lemon. That is the scent that I'm going to be working on. I, I'm into that. I'm really excited about it. I've experimented with lemon before. It's just never quite come out. Um, I think this is going to be really well done. I think I've perfected a recipe. I'm really excited about it. That's going to be coming mid-May, so that's going to be an exclusive summer scent. Um, but aren't lemons evil? Every villain they, they is can lemons. Be. They can be. They can be. <laughs> Lemon. I don't want it to be though. Not these. These are not evil. Not evil lemons. They're not. Well, when life gives you lemons, I don't use evil lemons. No evil lemons are used in the making of calling your bad. Can you please yeah. make that like a thing? No it's gonna evil be a lemons. Dis- it's going to be a disclaimer on every <laughs> packaging. Um. So guys, the Etsy shop link is in the bio on the Instagram. Search calm your body down everywhere. Etsy, Instagram. Um. Again, that's going to be coming mid May. The uh. Mother's Day bundle packs are available until May 9th. So right before Mother's Day, please order soon. Um, and again, free shipping on everything. Thanks again. Calm your buddy down. Also, apologies that I haven't been posting the movie reviews for the last couple weeks and the treat show self. Um, I'm kind of been taking a little bit of a break from social media a lot. Um, I am mentally warped. Just tired um this weekend though i'm going on a cabin trip with a one of my best friends and um i think this is going to be very healing for both of us um we both get our our uh energy from nature and stuff like that and it's just going to be really nice to be out in nature and the cabin that i got does not have wi-fi so i kind of did it on purpose so we literally can't even be tempted to get on our phones because we're not going to have service and it's going to be super remote um which is going to be very yeah. nice and on everyone's going i've seen this horror movie before <laughs> we will have protection 
Don't worry about that. We'll be all right. Um, hey, look, it's like as many times as I've said in places that me and my husband have stayed, I wish a motherfucker would. <laughs> right. Bring it. Like, just, just think. <laughs> just think. Like, oh, they don't look, they look so unsuspecting, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, my, but... best, my best friend has a bow. Okay? She has a bow. We're good. So, yeah. So, anyway, um, I will probably be bringing those back next week. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll see how my second chef, whoa, my sex, 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 can I get the fucking words out? Second COVID vaccine shot will go next week. Um, who knows if that will hit hard or not? Probably will. So we'll see. But, um, I just kind of wanted to let you guys know what's going on. I'm just kind of hanging back a little bit just because I just, I need to get in a better mindset. You're like, um, I just need to get my life together and then I will be doing that again. Gravy. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like I've been taking a step back from streaming too, just because I'm like, I have not stopped going since I moved. So my brain's on like 7,000 right now. So I'm like, I have to step back for a second and just take a second to breathe. So everyone that's been asking if I'm okay, I'm fine. I'm genuinely fine. I'm just a little mentally overwhelmed. So it was just, I think after this weekend, I really think I'm going to feel a lot better. And then the streams will come back and it'll be all, all good. Anyway, moving on from that. I just wanted to mention... Um case anybody was wondering i am feeling great after my second shot i had the pfizer um this is the day after um no problems i had a headache this morning but again allergies are really bad and i started my period so yay um mother nature came a knocking <laughs> what's up we're gonna do this flow, we're gonna do this nature. the same fucking day you have to get your covid shot plus allergies so um but yeah otherwise literally besides the headache i felt perfectly fine today my arm was sore that was gone by the morning um and that pretty much goes without saying i think everybody has said their arm was sore no matter what shot you got it's a fucking shot in your arm it's gonna be sore um but True. as far as like any other crazy symptoms like no literally nothing i felt perfectly fine today ate normal did my yoga normal routine no problems so yeah i'm i'm totally fine i'm glad i i am so glad to be fully vaccinated it feels so good um it's such a fucking relief um i went to a movie theater over the weekend this past weekend even though i wasn't fully vaccinated but it still felt really good to be in a theater again. And I'm going to try to go to the theater this weekend or next weekend with my husband to go see Mortal Kombat. Because I see everybody posting about it. And I'm like, jelly, I need to see this fucking movie now. <laughs> um, like, just getting back to normal doing things. Like, first of all, being in a theater again. Holy fucking shit, guys. I hadn't been in a goddamn theater in over a year. And I could not believe it. And it felt so fucking good. And I felt totally safe. Like, we picked our seats. We were, there was two other people in the row, but they were way far away. They had wipes. I wiped my seat down. I kept my mask on. I felt totally fine. It felt so fucking good, finally. Um, also, I saw Raya the Last Dragon. Thanks, Disney, for the childhood trauma, but it's a really good movie. Everybody needs to see it. Thanks, Disney, kids. for the childhood trauma um, in every fucking like film everything you everything since Bambi. Thank you. Been fucking me up since 87. Thanks, Disney. Pew, pew, pew. Um, so yeah, um, but I just want to get, 
I, I knew that shit was going to get normal at some point. The vaccine is what really did it, at least for me. I'll feel so much better. I, or I already feel so much better. Also, I just wanted to say, and I hate to keep saying it because I know Casper's jelly, but I just want to make an announcement because I'm going to be posting pictures. Guys, for my birthday in June, I'm going to be going to Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Going to the Mothman Museum. I'm going to take a whole bunch of pictures. The Mothman, like Mothman fucking everything. The statue, everything, guys. I'm so fucking excited. It's, I'm so excited. So. I mean, I'm excited for you. Hey, the, look, they're possibly going to be having the festival in September if everything goes well with COVID. So we can go in September. I am down to go back. How they do far the is that from festival. here? It's two and a half hours. Oh, What? I didn't realize it was that close. Hubby thought it was like four. I thought it was like five. He kept going like we were talking about like a hotel and everything. And he's like, wait, how far? I was like, it's only like two and a half hours. And he's like, I thought this was like four and a half hours away. I was like, where the fuck did you think we were going? And he said for some reason he had it in his head that it was like Mammoth Cave or like Tennessee. Like we were like on a fucking mission. And I was like. Literally, it's right over the Ohio River. Like, it's not that far. I didn't even realize that. Wow. It's wow. not that far. So, yeah. I was, he's like, holy shit, okay. Well, like, he was like, that makes me feel so much better. We're not, like, going on the other side of the country. So, um, I am I'm so excited. And I was I'm reading, I was reading on the website that they said, like, if everything stays good with COVID and everything, because obviously they had to cancel it. But, like, last year... But, like, they're pretty well for sure, like, fingers crossed, 80-90% that they're going to have the Mothman Festival this year. And I'm like, bitch, you're going to have Festival, <laughs> please. For my 30th birthday, I'm going back to Massachusetts. I, I would actually really like I think to... I've nailed down that my 40th, I'm going to go back. I think what I would really like to do is get a group of people and go. Though. Yeah. Or, or... Mm, Scotland though. I have a friend in Scotland. I have I won't have the money. I won't have the money for that by my by my 40th, maybe my 50th. That's only two years away. I don't know. I'll have to think about that because I have a few friends in Scotland. Literally everyone from behind the screams that I want to meet. Lucy, Lindsay, Ian, and Dave. But anyway, moving on. So Black Dahlia. Cold case. Um we will be mostly using Wikipedia as we normally do. Um, we are going to go over most of everything and then we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of hone in on who we think did it as like our, um, and like reasons as to why and like all that stuff. But, um, this, this case kind of made me sad because it could have, I feel like it could have been solved and it just wasn't because of bullshit. Um, so, of course, Elizabeth Short, who was born July 29th, 1924, to January 5th, and died January 15th, 1947, known as the Black Dahlia, was an American woman who was found murdered in the, is it Lamert? I think it's, uh, yeah, or Lemert. Actually, it's Lemert. Lemert, okay. Lemert, yeah. Lemert Park neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Her case became highly publicized due to the graphic nature of the crime, which included her corpse having been mutilated and bisected at the waist. Now, at the time, this part of L.A. was just an empty lot. 
this was 1947, so there were no homes on the lot right now, or at that time, right now, it would basically be on somebody's front lawn where this happened. But at the time in 1947, it was just a vacant lot. It was basically a housing development. Like they were getting ready to, at some point, clear it and, and build the houses that are there today. Um, but yeah, so the coordinates uh, are still relatively easy to find, but it would basically be on somebody's front yard today. It's also really hard to believe that this happened a couple of months before my dad was born. Like, it's kind of fucking crazy. That is weird. was in 1947. Like, I don't ever think of, like, around, like, you know, when I hear him talk about when he was a little boy. When I, he was a young warthog. Um, <laughs> especially something, I don't know, I think that was, like, what really, anytime I think we ever do cases that are really like I, I know H.H. H. Holmes and like Albert Fish were much, much older, but old cases that are so just heinously just disgusting and vile and people to some people seem to think in terms of that being more of a modern thing. Like Gacy or something that happened in the 70s, not something that would have happened like in the 40s, 70 years ago or 100 years ago. But it's like, oh, that existed then too. Like people were just that vile then oh, yeah. as they are 30 years ago as they are now. I mean, fuck, they could get away with it easier back then. That's That's the thing. Like, I think that's probably why it wasn't as known then as it is, as it became is because more people got away with it. You could hide it better. People weren't, you know, you, you live behind, you could, you could very well easily live behind closed doors. And especially if you were affluent, affluent, you could, you could pay people off. Oh yeah. So much more easily to get away with things versus now. So yeah, for sure. So she was a native of a native of Boston. She uh, short spent her early life in Medford, Massachusetts, in Florida before relocating to out California, where her father lived. It's commonly held that she was an aspiring actress, though she had no known acting credits or jobs during her time in LA. She acquired the nickname Black Dahlia after the owner of a drugstore in Long Beach, California, told reporters that male customers had that name for her. As newspapers of the period often nicknamed particularly lurid crimes, the term may have originated from a film noir murder mystery, The Blue Dahlia, released in April of 1946. After the discovery of her body on January 15, 1947, the LAPD began an extensive investigation that produced over 150 suspects but yielded no arrests. Short's unsolved murder and the details surrounding it have a lasting cultural intrigue, generating various theories and public speculation. Her life and death have been the basis of numerous books, films, and her murder is frequently cited as one of the most famous unsolved murders in American history, as well as one of the oldest unsolved cases in L.A. County. It has likewise been credited by historians as one of the first major crimes in post-World War II America to capture national attention. So, in her early life, she was born, like we said, July 29, 1924, in Hyde Park section of Boston, Massachusetts. She was the third of five daughters... Cleo and Phoebe Mae Short, 
Around 1927, the family relocated to Portland, Maine, before settling in Medford, Massachusetts, which was a suburb of Boston, this, that same year. This is where she was raised and spent most of her life. Her father built miniature golf courses. How fucking cool is that, though? He built miniature golf courses until the 1929 stock market crash when he lost most of his savings and the family went broke. In 1930, her father's car was found abandoned at the Charleston Bridge, and it was assumed that he had committed suicide by jumping into the river. Believing her husband to be deceased, her, uh, Elizabeth's mother moved with her five daughters into a small apartment in Medford and worked as a bookkeeper to support them. Troubled by bronchitis and severe asthma attacks, she under Elizabeth underwent lung surgery at the age of 15, after which doctors suggested she relocate to a milder climate during the winter months to prevent further respiratory problems. Her mother then sent her to spend winters in Miami, Florida with family friends. During the next three years, she lived in Florida during the winter months and spent the rest of the year in Medford with her mother and sisters. In her sophomore year, she dropped out of high school. In late 1942, Short's mother received a letter of apology from her presumed deceased husband which revealed that he was actually, in fact, alive and started a new life in California. I had remembered actually hearing about this on... I didn't know anything about her early life until I listened to Dan Cummins' Time Suck episode. And this fucked me up so bad. I was like, how in the fuck are you going to fake your own death and then 12 years later just pop up and write a quote-unquote apology letter to your wife and ch and children. Like, oh, like, I kept trying to go through my head what the fuck could have even been in that letter that you would have thought you would have just had the audacity to even think that that would have... 12 years? Like, what? What? 12 years? You're just like, oh, my bad. I'm not always there when you call, but I'm always, not always on time. I was like, what the hell? Like, you just, I... yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like know. after 12 years, just... I think you should just not say anything. Maybe, maybe it was just not the time ever. Yeah, she, she hadn't seen her dad since she was six years old. I think that's why, I know you're going to go on to her eventually when she was 18, she moved in with, she moved in with him in California, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that she hadn't seen him since she was six years old. I think she was probably so desperate to have a relationship with her father that like, which makes perfect sense, you know, especially being the baby and she was, well, you know, one of the babies, there was five girls, you know, like. I don't even know. I, I literally don't even know. You left me with five daughters and made me think that you were dead to all of a sudden. And I have to struggle. That would have been my, my first question. I would have been all like, the way to fucking Florida to fucking. Why? That would have been my first question. Why? Mm -hmm. Just why? Even if it's not a legitimate reason, I just need a reason. Can you just, it's something, anything. what the fuck? <laughs> so in December, um, when she was 18, she relocated to Vallejo to live with her father. And like Becky said, she hadn't seen him since she was six. At the time, he was working at the nearby Mare Island Naval Shipyard on San Francisco Bay. Arguments between Short and her father led to her moving out in January of 1943. Shortly after, she took a job at the base exchange at Camp Cook, now Vandenberg Air Force Base near Lompoc, living with several friends and briefly with an Air Army Air Force sergeant who reportedly abused her. 
Short left Lompoc in mid-1943 and moved to Santa Barbara, where she was arrested on September 23rd for underage drinking at a local bar. The juvenile authorities sent her back to Medford, but she returned instead to Florida, making only occasional visits to Massachusetts. While in Florida, she met um, Major Matthew Michael jo Yeah, Michael Jordan, or Gordon. Wow. Michael, I saw the junior and my brain put the J. I was like... I was like, there's a Michael, lot going on with his name, too. Michael Gordon Jr., a decorated Army Air Force officer at 2nd Air Commando Group. He was training for deployment to the China Burma India Theater of Operations of World War II. Short told her friends that Gordon had written to propose marriage while he was recovering from injuries from a plane crash in India. She accepted his offer, but Gordon died in the second crash on August 10th of 1945, less than a week before the surrender of Japan ended the war. That's so awful. She relocated to Los Angeles in July of 1946 to visit Army Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickle, Fickling, whom she had known from Florida. Fickling, she has a thing for Gordons. She's the Gordons. And men in uniform, apparently. I mean, I get it. Fickling was stationed at the Naval Reserve Air Base in Long Beach. Short spent the last six months of her life in Southern California, mostly in the L.A. area. Shortly before her death, she'd been working as a waitress and rented a room behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Short has been variously described and depicted as an aspiring or would-be actress. According to some sources, she did, in fact, have some aspirations to be a film star, though she had no known acting jobs or credits. Yeah, there was always rumors that uh, there was actually one in particular that she was an extra in the movie Casablanca, which was uh, completely untrue. Um, the hotel that she was staying at at the time when she moved to LA, she was staying there, I believe, with about seven or eight other women. They paid a dollar a piece in rent. Um, and, uh, one way that she made money aside from, uh, waitressing was she also did something that a lot of young girls did at the time in LA was they dated for dinner. So this is possibly where the rumor of her being a pro actually no not even possibly this is directly where the rumor of her be being a prostitute came from she went on a lot of dates with a lot of random men which is ultimately why there were over 150 i think something plus suspects in her murder because she did go on a lot of dates with various men of course a lot of men that were in hollywood that were in the business but just ultimately men that would be willing to take her on a date because she didn't have any money she was broke so a lot of times she would literally have just enough to pay for rent and that's it. And she would go all day without eating, except for maybe a few scraps that she got during her waitressing job. But she would go on dates with these guys just, just so she would have a meal. Wow. Um, but it was never, very few times was it anything romantic, never ended with sex. She was definitely not a prostitute, but that was something that was salacious in the news. Um, you know, it sold newspapers. If, if she was... This was a heinous murder, so to say she was just this nice girl, you know, your run-of-the-mill girl next door, uh, that wouldn't have sold papers. People needed to think that she was some sex-crazed maniac that put herself in this position because she was a low prostitute and she hung out around the wrong crowd and that's why this happened to her. So they basically victimized a victim already. <laughs> The press was horrible in this case. I mean, it just, yeah, <laughs> you know, this poor girl was dead and it, 22 years old too. Like, I think people, it was kind of crazy to read her age 
again after she doesn't research look 22 i'm like 22 that is a baby she looks I can't older even, than 22 like 22 is so i don't know about you young i don't even understand <laughs> i just don't even understand like that was my biggest thing is how she was just she was very nobody young. nobody looked at her as the very 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 young impressionable young young lady that she was it just she just was made out to be this whore just this this sex not horrible but like again like if she was painted out to be who she really was this very innocent neighborhood you know young girl that wouldn't have made the papers it was better to be made made more sense to sell more papers to make it even more salacious to say that she was you know hanging out with the wrong people and she was a sex crazed prostitute and all this stuff that was just completely untrue um so prior to her murder on january 9th of 1947 shorter returned to her home in la after a brief trip to san diego with a man named robert manley that went by the nickname red who was 25 years old um and was a married salesman that she had been dating at the time. Manley stated that he had dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel, located at 506 South Grand Avenue in downtown LA, and that Short was to meet her her sister, who was visiting her from Boston that afternoon. By some accounts, staff at the Biltmore recalled having seen Short using the lobby telephone. Um, sorry, I lost my place for a second. Uh, shortly after, she was allegedly seen by patrons of the Crown Girl Cocktail Lounge at uh, 754 South Olive Street. That's approximately less than half a mile away from the Biltmore. On the morning of January 15th, 1947, Short's naked body was found severed in two pieces on a vacant lot on the west side of the South Norton Avenue, midway between Coliseum Street and West 39th Street in Lemert Park, LA. At the time, the neighborhood was largely undeveloped, like I mentioned earlier. It was just like a big housing development. Local resident Betty Bersinger discovered the body at approximately 10 a.m. while she was walking her three-year-old daughter. Imagine just walking your child and you're like, what's that? Oh, honey, honey. (laughs) Well, she thought it was a mannequin because... Oh, I remember uh, that. Well, the body was drained of... I've seen all of the crime scene photos and the autopsy photos. Uh, The body was, even to see it in black and white, you could tell how pale it was because the body was completely drained of blood and the way it was bisected. She thought it was a mannequin. She thought that somebody had just thrown this random mannequin out in just this dirt lot, you know, just for no reason till she walked up on. That's why I've always been fucking creeped out by mannequins and I've always been like, I swear to God, if I ever walk up on something and see a fucking mannequin, like that fucked me up. Lick Road that we've talked about yeah that a couple years ago somebody found a mannequin back there it, it wound up being a fucking mannequin but somebody thought it was a, de- a dead body and that fucked because immediately that took me back to the black dahlia case i'm like oh great it's gonna be that shit all fucking over again but it's right around the corner from where i live <laughs> that's awesome um um but yeah she thought it was a mannequin until she realized it was a corpse and then she rushed to a nearby house to telephone the police uh, her severely mutilated body was completely severed at the rate at the waist, um, waist, and like I mentioned, was completely drained of blood, which is why the skin was so pale. Medical examiners determined that she had been dead for around ten hours prior to the discovery, leaving her time of death either sometime during the hours of uh, or during the evening of January fourteenth to the early morning of January fifteenth. 
The body had apparently been washed. Uh, her face was slashed from the corners of her mouth to her ears, creating what they call a Glasgow smile. Um, if you guys are unfamiliar with that looks like, that really famous actor from Sons of Anarchy, he's, see, Irish or Scottish? Who? met the guy for like half a second he was at horror hour one year i can't think of his fucking name he has the glasgow smile it was from a bar fight oh um it's this is gonna drive me fucking crazy i was gonna say i didn't watch sons of anarchy so i honestly I can't really help you i didn't watch it either but this guy is this guy has been in literally everything um tommy flanagan oh the one of stranger calls guy thank you he does. Um, He's got a creepy ass smile. Yeah, if you if you look at pictures of him, um, the older he's gotten, it's not as prominent as it was a few years ago. But um, when he was younger, yeah, I mean, you can really significantly see it. Yep. It, he was cut. It was a bar fight. Um, also, uh, even more famously... Uh, Heath Ledger's depiction of the Joker in The yep. Dark Knight. He has a Glasgow smile. You can see where it's cut. I want to know how um, I got these scars. So that was, yeah. It was pretty, and, and the way, also the way that she was bisected, which is why it was so highly believed that it was a doctor that did it, is that she was severed below her rib cage at basically the lower lumbar spine so it would be the easiest way to bisect a body without actually having to like saw through because it's just a very easy you just have to basically go through one lower disc in the spine and that's it so there's no ribs or anything it's just organs arteries and then the lower spine trigger warning but um that is something it's i forget I had it earlier today in an article, but it's a very long medical word to say, but it's actually something that surgeons are taught. So um, it is a very significant, and it would also explain for how easy it was for her body to be drained because if it was done in a bathtub, actually it was rumored or what the consensus was is that she was alive when her body was bisected. And it was in a bathtub, and after the bisection, the blood was drained out until the body had absolutely no blood left. Um, there were also cuts on her thighs and breasts where entire portions of her flesh had been cut away. Um, I'm, I'm, this gets very morbid, guys, and I'm telling you the, the fucking autopsies, they're out there everywhere. You can even find them on Pinterest. They used to be really hard to find back in the day. They are really easy to find now. And it's kind of horrific because she is only 22. I didn't really think about that so much when I was younger. I think about that a lot more now because she was this really beautiful young girl. And it's really awful because she was someone's child. But um, needless to say, uh, one of the other significant things, and this also takes me back to another infamous unsolved murder killer, Jack the Ripper, who was also rumored to be a doctor, who I also believe was a doctor, um, her uterus was removed and taken. So, um, and the body also, this was something that's also led to, again, and we're going to go back to who we believe the prime suspect and murderer was. Her body was very significantly posed. And one of the most significant things about her posture, which is something that is not done 
a lot by murderers when bodies are posed is that her arms were placed above her head. Her legs were spread wide open and her arms were placed above her head. So her body was very significantly positioned. Everything was done so precise to her in a way to almost make her look like an art piece. Yep. And keep that in mind because that's going to go back to who who we ultimately think did it. Um, upon the discovery, a crowd and passerbys and reporters began to gather. The L.A. Herald Express reporter Aggie Underwood at the time was among the first to arrive and took several photos of the corpse in the crime scene. So those are the infamous ones that you can still see today. Near the body, detectives located a heel print on the ground amid tire tracks and a cement sack that contained watery blood. So that also comes back to this person that we're going to mention later. Um, the autopsy on Short's body was performed on January 16th of 1947 by Frederick Newbar, who was the Los Angeles County coroner at the time. Newbar's autopsy reported that Short was five foot five inches tall. She weighed only 115 pounds. She had light blue eyes and brown hair and badly decayed teeth. She was that, um, she was called dark Irish because she had really, really dark hair and real bright blue eyes. She was absolutely fucking drop dead gorgeous literally every single fucking picture i saw i've she's ever beautiful. seen her she's beautiful um there were lig ligature marks on her ankles wrists and her neck and she had an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss in her right breast it was also noted that there were superficial lacerations on her right forearm her left upper arm and the lower right side of her chest so a lot of just random lacerations on her body Oh, okay, so this technique that I was mentioning before, this word that I, okay, it's called a hemicorporectomy, hemicorporectomy is what it's called. So it's where the lower half of the body is removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestine at the duodenum. So your lumbar spine has five discs. So when you go down to your fifth disc, that is right above where your tailbone is. So if you count five, four, three, up until where that part of your back would be, that is exactly where she was bisected. So that is all you have to cut through is that vertebrae and the lower intestine. That's it. So it's just a very easy, quick, um, again, and this is a very, this was a very common surgical technique that was learned by surgeons in the 1930s and 1940s so that's even to this day the consensus has always been that it was a doctor that did this or somebody that definitely studied surgery um it was also reported that there was very little bruising at the incision which means she was alive like i mentioned just just disgusting um, she had, uh, another gaping laceration around the umbilicus area. So the belly button area, um, again, the Glasgow smile, there was a lot of bruising on her scalp, even though her skull wasn't fractured, the cause of hemorrhaging later to her face was due to blows to her head. And again, from pictures that you can see, um, it does look like her face has been beaten. Um, Sidebar was that she was possibly a victim of SA. Uh, that stands for sexual assault, in case people don't know. I'm trying to get 
I'm trying to get up there with these buzzwords that I've been learning from other like YouTube true crime channels. So a lot of people, they just abbreviated SA as not to trigger people by saying sexual assault. And since I myself am a survivor of that, I don't want to trigger anybody, but it is possible that she was a victim of an SA. Um, she ultimately was identified by fingerprints that were sent by the FBI. It was a device called sound photo that was used at the time to transmit images by telephone that was normally used for news photographs. They had been on file from her 1943 arrest for underage drinking at the bar. Immediately following the identification, reporters from the from William Randolph Hearst, LA Examiner. I'm sorry, I detest William Randolph Hearst. That could take five and a half hours to go there about that guy. But anyway, um, he he definitely would want to satiate anything that he could to make the most salacious story possible. This guy didn't give a fuck because he was terrible. So he, he, reporters from that particular uh, newspaper that was owned by Hearst contacted her mother in Boston. Oh my God, this is so disgusting. They contacted her mother and told her that her daughter won a beauty contest. It was only after they pried as much personal information as they possibly could from her poor mother that the reporters ultimately revealed that she had been murdered. They offered to pay her airfare after they tricked her. They offered to pay her airfare and accommodations to travel to LA to help the police with the investigation. But that was yet just another ploy uh, since the newspaper kept her away from the police and other reporters to protect its scoop. The Examiner and another Hearst newspaper, the LA Herald Express, later sensationalized the case with one article describing the black tailored suit that Short was last seen wearing was a tight miniskirt with a sheer blouse. They dubbed her the Black Dahlia and described her as an adventurous who prowled Hollywood Boulevard. Additional newspaper reports, such as one published by the LA Times, said that she was a sex fiend, said that the murder was a sex fiend slaying. So fuck William Randolph Hearst even more. That is so beyond fucked up. Fuck all his descendants. Fuck him sideways. Literally not just for that, but for a million other things. Literally, if you guys want to know why I detest that man so much, just fucking Google William. <laughs> like, it could take forever. There's been podcasts done about him. The guy is just not a good person. And is pretty much not only him, but also the completely botched investigation by the blumbering buffoons of the LA police department that that combined is why we'll never know there well they'll ultimately never even be a posthumous conviction in her murder because they just didn't care so on January 21st 1947 a person claiming to be Short's killer placed a phone call to the office of James Richardson the editor of the Examiner congratulating Richardson on the newspaper coverage of the case and stated he planned on eventually turning himself in, not before allowing police to pursue him further. Additionally, the caller told Richardson to expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. On January 24th, a suspicious manila envelope was discovered by a U.S. Postal Service worker. The envelope had been addressed to the LA or the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers with individual words that had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, Here is Dahlia's belongings, letter to follow. 
The envelope contained Short's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embossed over the on the cover. The packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, similarly to Short's body, which led police to suspect the packet had been sent directly by the killer. Despite the efforts to clean the packet, several partial fingerprints were lifted from the envelope and sent to the FBI for testing. However, the prints were comprised in transit and thus could not be properly analyzed. The same day the packet was received by the examiner, a handbag and a black suede shoe were reported to have been seen on top of a garbage can in an alley a short distance from Norton Avenue, two miles from where Short's body had been discovered. The items were rediscovered, were recovered by police, but they had also been wiped clean with gasoline, destroying any f fingerprints. On March 14th, an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue, Venice. The note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in. So this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. The pile of clothing was seen by a bench caretaker who reported the discovery to John Dillon, lifeguard captain. Dillon immediately notified Captain Ellie Christensen of West Los Angeles Police Station. The clothes included a coat and trousers of blue herringbone tweed, a brown and white white shirt, uh, white jockey shorts, tan socks, and tan moccasin leisure shoes, size about eight. The clothes gave no clue the identity of the owner. Police quickly deemed Mark Hansen, the owner of the address book found in the packet, a suspect. He was a wealthy local nightclub theater owner, an acquaintance whose home Short had stayed with friends, and according to some sources, he also confirmed that the purse and shoe discovered were in fact Elizabeth's. Ann Toth, her friend and roommate, told investigators that she had recently rejected sexual advances from Hansen and suggested as potential cause for him to kill her. However, he was cleared of suspicion in the case. In addition to Hansen, the Los Angeles Police Department interviewed over 150 men in the ensuing weeks whom they believed to be potential suspects. Manley, who had been one of the last people to see her alive, was also investigated, but was cleared of suspicion after passing numerous polygraph examinations. Police also interviewed several persons listed in Hansen's address book, including Martin Lewis, who had been an acquaintance of Elizabeth. Lewis was able to provide an alibi for the date of Short's murder, as he was in Portland, Oregon, visiting his father-in-law, who was dying of kidney failure. A total of 750 investigators from the LAPD and other departments worked on this case during its initial stages, including 400 sheriff's deputies, 250 California State Patrol officers. Various locations were searched for potential evidence, including storm drains throughout LA, abandoned structures, and various sites along the LA River. But the searches yielded no further evidence. City Councilman Lloyd Davis posted a $10,000 reward, which now would be about $115,000, for information leading to police, leading police to Short's killer. After the, the announcement of the reward, various persons came forward with confessions, most of which police dismissed as false. Several of the false confessors were charged with obstruction of justice. So the media response, on January 26th, another letter was received by the examiner. This time it was handwritten, which read, here it is, Turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police, Black Dahlia Avenger. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The letter also named a location at which the supposed killer would turn himself in. Police waited at the location on the morning of January 29th, but the alleged killer did not appear. Instead, at 1 p.m., the examiner offices received another cut 
and pasted letter, which read, have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. The graphic nature of the crime and the subsequent letters received by the examiner have resulted in a media frenzy surrounding her murder. Both local and national publications were covered, covered the story heavily, many of which reprinted sensi- sen- sensationalistic sensationalistic. Re- reports suggesting that she had been tortured for hours prior to her death. The information, however, was false, yet police allowed their reports to circulate so as to conceal her true cause of death, cerebral hemorrhage, from the public. Further reports about her personal life were publicized, including details about her alleged declining of Hansen's romantic advances. Additionally, a stripper who was an acquaintance of hers told police that she liked to get guys worked up over her, but then leave, leave them hanging dry. This led some reporters, namely the Herald's Express Bevo means, and detectives to look into the possibility that Short was a lesbian and begin questioning employees and patrons of gay bars in LA. This claim, however, remained unsubstantiated. The Herald Express also received several letters from the purported killer, again made with cut-and-pasted clippings, one which read, I will give up on the Dahlia killing if I get 10 years. Don't try to find me. Yeah, Bevo Means was one of the top LA Herald Express, which was owned by Hearst. He was one of the top reporters there that led most of the stories about uh, her and specifically her being this like sex fiend crazed lesbian. And I think just trying to basically almost make it seem like she got what she deserved in a way. And that is even more disgusting without even knowing anything about her. Uh, February 1st, LA Daily News reported that the case had run into a stone wall with no new leads for investigators to pursue. The examiner continued to run stories on the murder and the investigation, which was front page news for 35 days following the discovery of the body. When interviewed, lead investigator Captain Jack Donahue told the press that he believed Short's murder had taken place in a remote building or a shack on the outskirts of Los Angeles and her body transported into the city where it was disposed of. Based on the precise cuts and dissection of her corpse, LAPD looked into the possibility that the murderer may have been a surgeon, doctor, or someone with medical knowledge. In February of 1947, the LAPD served a warrant to the University of Southern California Medical School, which was located near a site where Short's body had been discovered. Requesting a complete list of the program's students, the university agreed so long as the students' identities remained private, background checks were conducted and they yielded no results. So, by the spring of 1947, her murder had become a cold case with a few new leads. Sergeant Finnis Brown, one of the lead detectives on the case, blamed the press for compromising the investigation through reporters' probing of details and unverified reporting. In September 1949, a grand jury convened to discuss the inadequacies of the LAPD's homicide unit based on their failure to solve numerous murders, especially those of women and children in the past several years, and hers being one of them. In the aftermath of the grand jury, further investigation was done on her past. Detectives tracing her movements between Massachusetts, California, and Florida, and also interviewed people who knew her in Texas and New Orleans. However, the interviews yielded no useful information of the murder. Uh, so this is going into theories uh, regarding the murders and um, some of the possible suspects, but one of the more significant suspects in the killing um, that at least we believe to be true. Uh, So several crime authors, as well as the Cleveland detective, Peter, I think this is pronounced uh, Merlot or Marylow, 
uh, have been suspected of or linked between the short murder and the Cleveland torso murders, which took place in Cleveland, Ohio between 1934 and 1938. Um, yeah, the Cleveland torso murders are pretty fucking crazy. So I remember that. I, re a, I remember that. I might have to do an episode about that at some point because I've, I've, uh, seen a few podcasts about it and watched some documentaries about it but that's a really crazy case too um as part of their investigation into other murders that took place before and after the short killing the original lapd investigators that studied the torso murders in 1947 but were later discounted in any relationship between the two cases in 1980 new evidence implicating a former torso murder suspect Jack Anderson Wilson, a.k.a. Arnold Smith, was investigated by Detective St. John in relation to Short's murder. He claimed that he was close to arresting Wilson for Elizabeth's murder, but that Wilson died in a fire on February 4th, 1982. The possible connection between Elizabeth Short's murder and the Torso murders received renewed media attention when it was profiled on Unsolved Mysteries in 1992, in which the Elliot Ness biographer Oscar Fraley suggested that Elliot Ness knew the identity of the killer responsible for both cases. Um, and of course, if you guys don't know who Elliot Ness is, he was the famous prohibition agent that brought down Al Capone. Uh, his autobiography, The Untouchables, has been turned into various TV shows and uh, films over the years. Actually, funny enough, Robert Stack, who hosted Unsolved Mysteries, played Elliot Ness on the old Untouchables TV series. So that was, that's kind of fucking crazy. Um, the February, on February, the February 10th, 1947 murder of Jean French. I've actually also heard this connection with the Black Dahlia murder as well. This happened in LA. This was considered by media and detectives as possibly being connected to Short's killing. French's body was discovered in West L.A. on Grandview Boulevard, nude and badly beaten. Written on her stomach in lipstick was what appeared to say, fuck you, B.D., and the letters T.E.X. The Herald Express covered the story heavily and drew comparisons to Short's murder less than a month prior, surmising that the initials B.D. stood for Black Dahlia. According to historian John Lewis, however, <coughs> John stated that the scrawling was PD, not BD, and that PD stood for police department. So they were basically telling the police department to fuck you. Uh, crime authors such as Steve Hodell and William Rasmussen have suggested a link between uh, Short's murder and the 1946 murder and dismemberment of six-year-old Suzanne Degnan in Chicago, Illinois, or Degnan. This is another murder that I had uh, heard about as well. Um, Captain Donahue of the LAPD stated publicly that he believed the Black Dahlia and the Chicago lipstick murders were likely connected. And among the evidence cited as the fact that Short's body was found on Norton Avenue, three blocks west of Deegan Boulevard, Deegan being the last name of the girl from Chicago. There were also striking similarities between the handwriting on the Deegan ransom note and that of the Black Dahlia Avenger. Both texts used a combination of capitals and small letters. The Deegan note reading in part, burn this for her safety. <laughs> okay, listen. Um, I'm not trying to make a lot of this, but... um. I know, but how you, funny you is that? You see it, don't you? Oh, I totally see it. Burn it for her safety. That SpongeBob meme. Isn't that terrible, though? <laughs> I'm like, that's immediately what I thought. 
And Britney's voice That's terrible. You guys know we have to add some humor. Listen, this is some dark you know that SpongeBob shit. meme. And you everybody know knows meme. this. Both notes contained similar misshapen uh, of the letter P and uh, that one word matches exactly. The convicted serial killer, William Herons, who served life in prison with Degnan's, uh, he served life in pregnant prison for Degnan. Pregnant. Pregnant. announced. So Her name was Suzanne Degnan. William Herons, I've actually never heard of this guy. Oh, he's a lipstick killer. That is another interesting one that pops up every once in a while. I only feel like a few true crime podcasts have talked about the lipstick killer, mm -hmm. but that one seems to pop up every now and again. Um, but yeah, he ultimately was convicted of her murder, even though it is believed that um, there possibly was a different murder, and that was also the murder of Black Dahlia, of Elizabeth Short. Um, initially arrested at 17 for breaking into a residence close to that of Dignan, Herons, or Herons claimed that he was tortured by police, was forced to confess, and was made a scapegoat for the murder. After being taken from the medical infirmary at the Dixon Correctional Center on February 26th of 2012 for health problems, uh, William died at the University of Illinois Medical Center uh, on March 5th of 2012 at the age of 83. Additionally, Steve Hodell, who has implicated his father, George Hodell, as Elizabeth's killer, citing his father's training as a surgeon, as well as other things that were... Uh, Here we go. evidence. <laughs> In 2003, it was revealed in notes from the 1949 grand jury report that investigators had wiretapped Hodel's home, and he had and they had obtained a recorded conversation of him with an unidentified visitor saying, "Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because she's dead." Because that's what you normally, you know, would say. So, just to give a little bit of background to George, Ho regarding George Hodel. Um, he was born in 1907 and died in 1999. He was a Jewish physician that, after the 1947 murder of Elizabeth Short, he became one of the top, one of the top out of six. There were, out of 150, there were six top suspects in this murder case, and George Hodel was one of the six. Uh, he was never formally charged with the crime and he came to wider attention as a suspect after his death when he was accused by his son, Steve Hodell, who was a former L.A. homicide detective, of killing Short and also committing several other additional murders, including Dagnan's. Prior to the Dahlia case, he was also suspected in the death of his secretary, Ruth Spaulding, but he was never charged. He was accused of rape of his own daughter, Tamar Hodell, but he ultimately was acquitted of that crime. He fled the country after that and spent from 1950 to 1990 in the Philippines and then ultimately came back to LA where he died in California in 1999. Presumably after, I think he came back once he figured that everything had pretty much fallen out of him being a suspect in the murder and what he did to his daughter. Um, so just some quick background on uh, George Hodel. He was uh, he was married, I think, five different times and had ten children, something like that. I gotta I gotta make sure I get this down completely. Um, 
so he okay let's see he went to caltech in pasadena but was forced to leave the university after one year due to a scandal involving him being caught with the wife of a professor he also impregnated a woman and wanted to raise their child together but she refused this woman that he had the affair with um, in 1928, he had a common law marriage with a woman named Amelia that produced a son named Duncan. In the 1930s, he was legally married to a model named Dorothy Anthony that produced the daughter that he went on to later rape when she was 14, Tamar. Uh, he graduated pre-med from Berkeley in 1932 and then enrolled in medical school at the University of California, San Francisco, where he received a medical degree in 1936. So even though his medical practice was not surgery, he was trained as a surgeon. Uh, after his successful medical practice opened, he became the head of the Social Hygiene Bureau and moved to the affluent LA area in, in the 1940s, where he bought the Soudan House, where he lived from 1945 to 1950. It was uh, built by Lloyd Wright, which is the son of the famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright. It is registered as an LA historic landmark. It still stands to this day. It is an absolutely gorgeous and it looks like a big Mayan temple. It is the craziest looking house. The inside is absolutely okay I'm sorry. Oh the house. Gorgeous house. Sorry got where I left off. Gorgeous house that he lived in from 1945 to 1950. Like I said it's still standing to this day. It's absolutely gorgeous. You can see pictures of it. Um so he lived in this home uh, where he enamored his darker side of surrealism and he was friends with the photographer Man Ray and the film director John Huston. Uh, Man, Man Ray and uh, like Sharpoy or not Sharpoy, um, like Man Ray from Spongebob? Like the, uh, no. Like the uh, no. This guy, Man Ray, was, was no. Um, I was joking. It was just funny because he man Ray. I know. He's, <laughs> this is actually a nickname that he went by. Um, the guy was thought to be this very, very famous surrealist artist and photographer and sculptor. And to me, he, from Tamar's recollection of who he was, he was a very sick, disgusting um, sexual deviant. Him and George Hodel both were sadomasochists. Um, they would throw parties where, um, I firmly believe T Tamar was used as a sex slave. She even distinctly remembers at the age of 12, Man Ray taking naked pictures of her where she was posed. Um, this is why it's believed that, uh, George posed Elizabeth's body the way he did. There's a very famous painting, uh, or picture of Man Ray, where a body is positioned with the hands above its head. It's a naked woman's body, just a torso, which Elizabeth Schwartz was just a torso with the hands above her head. Um, both of them, again, were into sadomasochism. I think that's the reason why there were so many deep lacerations to Elizabeth's body and that her face had so many contusions on it. I think it was part of the masochism. I think he got off on um, hurting her as much as he possibly can, and he did this to other women. Um, George Hodel, this isn't mentioned in this article, but he was also what they called, uh, he was kind of a back alley abortionist. Um, it's rumored that in the Soudan house, 
that not only were other women murdered in that home, that there were illegal abortions performed in that home. Um, again, because he was so affluent and knew so many people, he paid off a lot of the police department. I believe there were a lot of LA cops that used his services as an as a illegal abortionist. Um, there were just a lot of different things about this man that uh, made it very easy for him to buy off anybody that he could. Um, I think that's why people ultimately didn't even believe him and what happened with his daughter. Um, so he was effectively a polygamist by the 1940s around the time of uh, his uh, secretary, Ruth, and Elizabeth's murders. He was living with um, uh, his second legal wife, who he, call, who he called Dorero. Her name was Dorothy, uh, and their three children. Um, his first legal wife, Dorothy, and their daughter, Tamar, and at times his original common-law wife, Amelia, the mother of his eldest child. He was also prone to having multiple lovers, multiple witnesses, later suggested that Hodel possibly had a relationship with Elizabeth. He left the United States uh, March of 1950 for Hawaii, then a U.S. territory where he married a Filipino woman by the name of Hortensia Laguda, where after another four children, they divorced in the 1960s. Um... Hodel returned to the U.S. in 1990, married legally for the fourth time a woman named June, and lived with her in San Francisco for the remainder of his life, where he died at the age of 91 in 1999. Um, when he came under suspicion in 1945 of the death of his secretary, Ruth Spaulding, she was originally found to have died of a drug overdose. He was suspected of having murdered her in order to cover up his financial fraud such as billing patients for tests that were never performed and protecting valuable secrets he had obtained about police and politicians after obtaining illegal abortions. Well, so well. of course she knew all about this. He had her killed. Anyway, moving on. After Elizabeth Short's uh, mutilated body was discovered, uh, notably that she was cut in half at the waist and her mouth was cut from ear to ear, uh, the case was never solved, but one of the suspects, being George Hodel, was his his strong connection to surrealism with the works of Man Ray. And then in 1949 was when Tamar um, came forward in regards to, 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 in regards to the incestuous sexual abuse that she had suffered from her father for years. Um, ultimately, he impregnated her, performed an abortion on her. It was rumored that she didn't have the abortion and that her daughter, Fauna Hodel, who she ultimately ended up giving up for adoption later on, that Fauna was George's daughter. There was a later DNA test done that proved that Fauna was not George Hodel's daughter. Thank God. But that still doesn't take away from everything horrible that Tamar went through. Um, there were even three witnesses that were present during some of these participated sex acts. Again, she was passed around to her, to his friends at sex parties as early as the age of 12. Um, this guy is great. There were family that came against her to try to silence her. The trial caused Tamara to look like a liar and like she fabricated the entire thing. Um, ultimately, he was acquitted. And then he came back into um, uh, police attention for Elizabeth Short's murder after the sexual abuse trial, even though he was acquitted. His medical degree, degree did arouse suspicion 
um, and at least eight different witnesses said that they linked a relationship in 1946 between Hodel and Elizabeth Short. Um, so again, and then the the D, the DA tapes that they found that came forward in 1950, where there were transcripts referencing his illegal abortions, the payoffs to law enforcement uh, law enforcement officials, where he said, "Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they can't prove anything. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead." They thought that there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out that I killed her and maybe I did kill my secretary. So he said this. Um, the guy fucking got away with murder as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I could go on and on and on about George Hodel, but I'm basically giving you the basics that he was a doctor. He did study surgeries. If, if he didn't commit this murder, he was a god-awful piece of shit who raped his own daughter and had other men rape his daughter. The director, John Houston, famous director, almost raped his daughter. This man was disgusting. So even if he didn't commit this murder, he's even still a piece I, of without shit. without a shadow of a doubt, believe that he did, he was a piece of shit. Um, there have been various ghost investigations, ghost hunter investigations at the Soudan house. One in particular, the Ghost Adventures went there. Yep. It is believed that there has been repeated contact made with Elizabeth Short at this home. Um, Fauna Hodel, before her death, was able to visit the home. She said that she felt Elizabeth. Um, Tamar, before she died, said that she knows that he killed Elizabeth, that she had been in that home. Um he had a fetish for girls that looked like her too. His son, Stephen, was given a photo album by June of all these pictures of young women that Man Ray took at these sex parties, these crazy parties he would have at this house. And all of these women looked like Elizabeth. They all did. They all had black hair. They would all wear flowers in their hair. Um, I think he became obsessed with her. I think that he did take her on a few dates. I think he did kill her. I think he killed her in that house. I think he cut her body in one of the bathrooms in the basement, in the bathtub. Um, there was a black car that was seen the night that the body was dumped in this in this uh, lot. And it matched a car that he owned. Um, yeah. The L.A. botched this. To the umpteenth degree. They, I, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, if he wasn't so fucking famous and, or if, if he wasn't so affluent rather and didn't have all the money that he had, they would have nailed George Hodel. They would have fucking nailed him. He had everything to prove that he could at least be one of the top sus, even just circumstantial evidence. I mean, the fact that they didn't even, I have seen people be arrested and even put away on such little circumstantial evidence, even less than what they had in this case, that they could have at the very least issued a warrant to search his home with the circumstantial evidence that they had. And then based on that, impose an arrest. He could have at the very least been arrested. But, you know, like they said, he paid people off. This was a very corrupt police department we were dealing with at the time. You had very corrupt cops. All of them were being paid off. All of them were engaging in illegal activities. All of uh, quite a few of them knew who George Hodel was, and they he had serviced them in various different ways. Rather, you know, like literally cops having affairs with young girls 
and taking these girls to George Hodel to perform abortions. And he knows about it. So he's got all this dirt on this co- on these cops. Not to mention, he's perform he's billing patients for procedures that he never performed. And when these patients are going to the police department to convict to bring about fraud charges against him, the police come to his come to his office and he just pays them. So it's like there this guy had all the makings of the perfect murderer because he had the money, he had the time, he had the skill, he had the payoff, he had the home, he had literally every means. His son believes that not only did he kill D, uh, the young girl, the six-year-old Elizabeth Short, and his secretary, she believed, or his son believes that he killed up to six to eight different women, that there were even some women that could have possibly be buried where the Souden house is. Now, there were uh, cadaver dogs that have gone, gone there over various years. Uh, apparently, some parts of the property have been excavated in the backyard and such, even when renovations were done on the house. There's been no body parts found, no bones found, nothing like that ever found. Um, but yeah, there definitely has been Ghost Adventures went there. There has been connections with Elizabeth Short and possibly other women in that home. Um, yeah, I I mean, I know we didn't go over, there were over 150 different suspects and I know we didn't go over various other suspects that could have possibly done it. There were so many but really George is the one that I feel like just nailed it. I mean, he it just seems a little he bit knew too... her. He was a doctor. He had the he just he had the perfect means to do it. It was just a little too perfect. And he's rather a piece of shit. So I mean know. like I I just it doesn't get any it just literally doesn't get any worse than I mean no. it does get worse than that guy. Yes. Unfortunately. But for this, like, I, I just, I, I think he did it. I, I think too. he did it. I'm I in agreement with that. It. And he'll, like I said, I don't think he'll ever be posthumously convicted. Because what are they going to convict him with? Air? I mean, even in death, like, they could do, like, they could, they could open the case convict him even in death yeah like they did that with uh the adam walsh case yeah like Otis tool was dead but they still said you know they they ultimately said that you know we're gonna close this case he did it boom so they could still do that but they won't nope they won't do it i don't think it means enough to them to do it and i think that it would just open a bigger can of worms to just further show how incompetent they are and we the LA Police Department has not had a good track record for a long, long, long time. They've been like on we need to clean our shit up duty for like since they were sixty fucking years. Like, it's been a long fucking time. It's been. Um, so Elizabeth Short's uh gravesite is at Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland. You can go visit it. There's a pretty picture of people. That is actually a really pretty picture. Um, After her younger sisters had grown up and married, her mother, Phoebe, moved to Oakland to be closer to Elizabeth's grave. She finally returned to the East Coast in the 70s, where she lived into her 90s. And on February 2nd of 1947, just two weeks after Short's murder, 
Republican State Assembly man C. Don Field was prompted by the case to introduce a bill calling for the formation of a sex offender registry. The state of California became the first U.S. state to make this registration of sex offenders mandatory. Short's murder was described as one of the most brutal and culturally enduring crimes in American history, and Time Magazine listed as one of the most infamous unsolved cases in the world. Short's life and death have been the basis of numerous books and films, both fictionalized and nonfiction. The case was the focus of season four, episode 13 of Hunter, um, in which the main characters, along with the fictitious veteran former police detective, investigated and carried out an arrest of an, in reality, fictitious suspect after 41 years. Among the most famous fictional accounts of Short's death is the author James L. Roy's 1987 novel, The Black Dahlia, which in addition to the murder explored the larger fields of politics, crime, corruption, and paranoia in post-war LA. According to cultural critic David M. Fine, the novel was adapted in 2006 uh, into a film by director Brian De Palma, and the actress Mia Kirshner played Elizabeth Short. Can we? <laughs> she actually looks a lot like her. Too, she does. Which is crazy. But God damn it, I can't stand her. <laughs> Listen, watching know, right? not another teen movie last night. Um, like I understand it's a character. That's not who she is as a person. She's probably really nice, honestly. But how to trigger a lesbian? Mia Kirshner. I know, right? How how do you trigger a lesbian? It's terrible. She's had so many other. She's she's a, that just makes her a you wonderful know, like, actress. I'm sure, she's I'm an sure amazing you're a very actress, great person, ma'am. She's did a probably great, not a piece. You of did shit. a great uh, Elizabeth Short in the Black Dahlia 2006 film, which I honestly need to watch, guys. If you've never seen, yeah, it, I haven't seen. I'm going to watch it, but this is a pretty star-studded cast for 2006. It's directed by the famous Brian De Palma. Josh Hartnett, Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson, Aaron Eckhart, Hilary Swank. I mean, like, that's a pretty, like, you know, everybody knew who they were back in that time. So that's right. a pretty star-studded cast for 2006. I might actually have to watch it. And I'm actually curious to watch her in something where she's not a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Sorry, um, but she is. No, I know. No, seriously. It'll be nice to see her in something where she's a little bit more endearing. A person that you're not heartwarming. Like, I literally just want... Someone that you actually have feelings. Like when you're watching like the end of the L word and you're like, I don't even feel sorry. Right, not in the slightest. And then did you hear when the new season came out? They were like, is Jenny Schechter really dead? And I was like, do not. Let's not do that. Do not. Because I need her to be fucking dead. <laughs> like, let's do it and say we didn't. But not. Like, <laughs> let me like, tell you, what the that fuck? last episode had me like, yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I get very you No, know it's, it's fine. I know I, I, I have never hated her, but that was the first movie that they actually made about the Black Dollar right. crimes, and she just so happened to be the one that had to play her in it. I just never have hated a TV character so much in my fucking life, more than Jenny Schechter. Hey, you know, it, it says a lot to when somebody can play a character right? that much that you hate them. I want to meet her. I would love to meet her, because I'm like, 
You have to be a fucking damn good actress. I was so glad I did it with John Bernthal because yeah. I fucking woo. Sorry, I didn't mean to Wait. get loud, but Jesus <laughs> fucking Shane, I was like, um, no. But so I didn't. I wasn't sad when Shane died. I I just I wasn't. All he did was no. rub his head and. Get angry. You were just annoying. And feed Otis to the zombies. Fucking asshole. You just had so much proud boy energy. I was just sick of he it. He was. Let's be real. He was mad. He couldn't fuck. He couldn't fuck Lori anymore. Yeah. He was mad about it. Yep. That's exactly what it was. He was obsessed with her. He was. He was obessed with Rick's life. Yes. He was obsessed. With it was his almost life. like he became Rick because and Rick was disgusting. Dead. And I. Ugh. <sighs> um get on like, a walking dead I'm rant like, look like that was uh, that's so that, i'm just it's not even so much the walking dead it's just in discussing a care i i know what it's like like not just him but i've had other characters where i just detest so it says so much to not only the development of that character that you can hate something so much that's fictional <laughs> but also to the testament of the actor yes. to be able to bring that character to life for you to hate so much so it just it says half a lot. the Walking Dead cast. It says a or, lot. I mean half um, Game of Thrones cast, right? Like it says a lot. Lena Headey, that woman. It says let a me lot. tell you something. Fuck Cersei. I did want to say something amazing. real quick though. Back with the um, Black Dahlia case. Um, if you guys did want to, so there's been several podcast episodes done about this. I personally, and I know this is because I'm biased, but. Um, I think the Time Suck episode, hands down, has to be one of the best ones. Because, again, a lot of the stuff that we covered in Wikipedia, I didn't know anything about until I listened to that Time Suck episode. Especially all of the early stuff about Elizabeth's life. Because I feel like there is so... And I think this just this just kind of goes with many of these murder cases. Um, the unfortunate side of it is that the only thing that's ever discussed once they become a victim is their murder. It's very rarely, if ever discussed who they were as a person, how they, how they grew up, who their parents were. Did they have any relatives? Uh, she was a babysitter when she was in Massachusetts. Um, you know, she, it's, it's never talked about who they are as a person, but she was a babysitter um, she did very well in school. She was loved by so many people. She had a lot of really great high school friends. She had all of these aspirations to want to become an actress and did everything she could in LA. She was just a young girl having fun, dating, running around with friends, just having the time of her life and became the unfortunate victim of a very sick, twisted, psychopathic, sadomasochist who I hope is burning and rotting wherever he is. Um, but it's just a sad tale. I think it's just, it's just more sad because she was so young and fuck William Randolph Hearst. And she just <laughs> like, fuck him just so add, much. Just add like, that just into it. Fuck just him fuck so him. much. And like, you, you just, it's never discussed enough about who the victims are as people. You know, she was Elizabeth Short. She was someone's, daughter she was someone's child she was someone's sister she was someone's friend she was 22 years old 
she wasn't just so the black, young. She wasn't just the black Dahlia. She was a person. So again, I hope we did. I hope she's in peace wherever she is. I hope we did justice in discussing about her. Um, again, please listen to that time suck episode because Dan goes two and a half hours or longer out, and we're obviously not going to give that much time, but. He gives a lot of details and I think we gave as much as we should, but, um, or could anyway with the allotted time. But, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this. This is definitely something that I've always wanted to talk about. It's a case that everybody, I, I feel like at this point knows about it's, it's been, um, it's adapted been. into, I don't know how many different movies and TV shows over the years. Um, but like I said, I don't, I think, I have not heard many other podcasts, even the Time Suck one, even though he discusses George Hodel, I have not heard many other podcasts really dig deep about George as far as the primary suspect. They just discuss a variety of suspects. And of course, George prominently comes up because of all the attention that was put on him by his son, Stephen. Um, but I just really wanted to nail discussing George more than anybody because I am just 99.999% sure that, that piece of shit did it. And, uh, and I, 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 I agree. Yeah. You're like, I, I, I agree. I, 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 it's there. I got it. Well, I almost said I disagree. And I'm like, no, I was like, what? <laughs> um, that's all I got. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think my chair just went, huh. <laughs> I think that was mine. I thought it was mine. Was, huh. Unless they both did at the same time. I know the chair, the chair is over it. You were like, I think that's it. And the chair went. Oh, like, yeah, it is. I'm over it. I'm fucking tired of this shit. The chair's like, I'm over it. All right, guys. Well, that was a heavy one. Um, But next week is going to be a much lighter one. Yes, it is. We brought back Andy Palmer, who directed Funhouse Massacre, Camp Coldbrook. Um, my brain help. I'm sorry, I was not prepared. <laughs> um, uh, Alien Strain. Uh, we've had him on before. We yes. were talking about Cam Coldbrook the last time we yes, had him. Yes, we did. Uh, Witness Infection has come out since then, and we decided to have him back on to talk about Witness Infection, which is an amazing mafia zombie film that is not something you'd expect, but it's brilliantly done. Very funny. Um, I absolutely loved it, and... We so are Carlos, Carlos Ellis Rocky and Brent Ernst and uh, just a pretty star-studded cast, especially if you know a lot of comics. Uh, and and voice this was actors, really, too. This was just a fun, fun, fun interview, and Andy is mm -hmm. always welcome on. And go back and listen to our old episode. We first had him on. It was a blast. Um, and uh, go watch Camp Coldbrook and Witness Infection. They're all streaming on Amazon Prime. Camp Coldbrook is now on Tubi. So it was Funhouse Massacre, um, but, I believe. And Funhouse Massacre, but Witness Infection is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. So And it's very good. It's, it's very really, good. It's really, really, really funny. Um, and yeah, we're happy to have Andy back on, so stay tuned for that next week. Excited. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, of course, you know the routine. Our socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Don't Fuck With The Original. My brain. Oh, my God. My brain. Um... And then our email is dfwto8493 at gmail.com if you just have any questions or just want to say hey. And of course, follow and subscribe and leave ratings on iTunes, Google Podcast, and Spotify so you always know when we post new episodes. 
and you get notifications and it's really cool because we're like, hey, we posted a new episode. Hi! <laughs> We'd be on your phone like, hello! Alright guys, have a safe week. Be careful. Be nice. Be kind. Always. And we will see you. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs> Catch you on the flip side. Okay, bye!